Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. You do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer, a no-risk trial for Stamps.com plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes $55 in free postage. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter AMERICA. That's Stamps.com. Enter offer code AMERICA. Podcast for America is also sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses creates engaging courses presented by top professors and experts. One course I recently watched is The Great Courses series on turning points in American history. The Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for listeners. That's you guys. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including Turning Points in American History, at up to 80% off the original price. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Panoply Studios in New York. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the human feeding frenzy that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with Alex Wagner. With me here in New York is Chief National Correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, Mark Leibovich. Good to see you, Mark. Good to be here, Alex. The people of New York are happy to have you. I can tell. And alone but strong in our Washington, D.C. studio is contributing editor for New York Magazine, Annie Lowry. Annie, it is always good to hear your voice. Can we hear it now? Yes. Hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First up today, we're going to talk money, Hillary Clinton style. This week, the former Secretary of State gave a big speech outlining her economic strategy to set America on a path towards financial success. It was big on ideas and a little light on details. We'll discuss those plans and take a gander at why she may not be ready to start crunching numbers. Next, we'll move to a guy who is solid on his numbers, or at least in his mind he is, Republican senator and candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, Senator Ted Cruz. He sold over 11,854, but who's counting, copies of his book, A Time for Truth, which ought to have put him at number two on the New York Times bestseller list, but it did not. Is this part of the giant liberal media conspiracy, or did the editors of the Times forget their calculators at home? And finally... The Trump, the Donald, the Teflon Don, as the I'm Trump, prone, the, like the Trump, yeah. will discuss inter-party responses or lack thereof to the Donald's bold positions and proclamations. And then, of course, we'll end it with our little benevolent dictator segment, which we like to call If I Were in Charge. Okay, so here we go. This week, Hillary Clinton gave a speech at the New School in New York City outlining her economic platform. This school is not so new anymore, and neither were some of the ideas Clinton shared. Boost the middle class, rein in ballooning corporate compensation. Mark, Clinton watcher that you are. Mm. Did you feel like this was a rejuvenated, renewed, progressive Hillary Clinton message or more of the same? No. I think the takeaway from the speech is that she said she was going to be very aggressive and actually prosecuting people on Wall Street, which, you know, was a bit of a backhanded, if not a frontal slap at Eric Holder and Barack Obama. But I I think, look, the the speech, you you could pretty much say any major policy address at this stage is, quote, light on details. But I I think it, it is 
it's a I think it's probably a compelling message for her. I also think, you know, is she the messenger? Is she someone who's going to have any kind of credibility at all to go after Wall Street, given that that's where she's raising a ton of money from, um, given her sort of corporatist tendencies that we all know so well? And, and frankly, every time you talk about Clinton and money, you were talking about it in an economic context, other money situations come up. So that's the, the big issue. But clearly, I think she's trying to, I think, continue with a more populist message. Hey, but Annie, I kind of thought, I mean, to Mark's point about Clinton's corporatist tendencies, the fact that she was like, I'm going to prosecute malfeasance on Wall Street seemed like fairly measurable. I don't know. What did you think of it? I think that watching the Wall Street portion of her plan going forward is going to be among the most interesting parts. You know, in 2008, I think that Obama managed to raise money from them. By 2012, that money mostly meant to Mitt Romney. It looks like she's going to have the ability to to draw some of that back. And it kind of depends on how much of this rhetoric she uses and, and how much teeth she actually puts in these proposals. But she's really absorbing some of the critiques that she's getting from the left. This was like a very Elizabeth Warren-ish thing to tackle. And ultimately, you know, and I think that Mark gestured at this, she's not existing in a vacuum. This is not going to matter so much about her positioning on the left as it's going to matter about her positioning vis-a-vis her Republican candidate eventually and how they're battling it out over the sliver of voters that might be changing their mind or might be decisive. I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I think that she is speaking with an eye to Bernie Sanders. I mean, I think they're terrified inside that campaign, perhaps rightly, that they are losing the populist left. And, you know, and Bernie Sanders has had some real, real success in obviously sort of coalescing that. So I, just, I feel like I've gotten they a see sense the that Obama. that is like way overblown. I mean, and, and I, I just... And why I is she, why see... is she spending so much capital on courting the progressive left? I mean, I, mean, she, I just don't think that part of the strategy is... She used to be Barack Obama's left, right? Like, she's always been fairly far to the left. I do think that she is, you know... I'm, I'm not saying that she's speaking exclusively to a Republican. I just... I I think that the whole Bernie thing is really overblown. I really do. She lost to a Bernie Sanders in 2008. I mean, as she sees it, someone came out well, of I nowhere mean, on the left. Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama. Barack Obama. <laughs> well, but well, but Bernie Sanders, two- as as he represents a very engaged, fired up, right. probably younger and progressive lowercase p electorate, which is the and, and in that way. And I'm taking the socialism out of it. But right. like that coalition she sees emerging when Bernie Sanders speaks to an audience, an audience of 10,000 people. Right. Like that that thing, that magic is what she's trying to capture. Right. Well, that magic is also again, it's, it's where I think a lot of the energy of the Democratic Party is. And, you know, because it's Bernie Sanders is probably a ceiling. I mean, the 73-year-old socialist thing is probably going to maybe maybe cap him out at 35, 40%. But, you know, they're terrified of actually, you know, that momentum swelling over 50 or getting to a point where she could actually be in real danger. So It's just really hard for me to see how six months from now we are more worried about Bernie Sanders than we are right now. We talk a lot about the progressive, blah, 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 blah. You can't win this thing without a hell of a lot of money. And mm-hmm. unlike the progressive left, who's going to vote, Demo- pro- it's going to vote Democratic or not vote at all. Money could easily go to do- towards Jeb Bush. And yet that does not seem to be a consideration at all from the Clinton campaign. It's, it like sort of shocks me I- that she feels like she can kind of just say whatever about Wall Street and money and, you know, income inequality and the whatever uh, and not worry about well, the donor class. A couple, a couple of things. First of all, the Democratic sort of establishment has this sort of, at least in recent years, has this kind of 
nudge-nudge, wink-wink relationship with Wall Street. I mean, Jim Messina, when he was running Barack Obama's re-election campaign in 2012, met with a bunch of Wall Street donors and said, look, we're going to have to whack you. It's part of what we do, but we're probably not going to follow through. I mean, I remember Bloomberg had a piece on this, and it was, I thought it was astounding. It didn't get a lot of attention. So Wall Street Democrats will know that they are trying to get elected. They're sort of talking in dog whistles, but it's not going to affect us ultimately. Also, I think the Clinton campaign believes- And they just take it. And they're like, they oh, do. we're going to assume and you know that p- it, prosecuting corporate it's, malfeasance it's, is, eh, it's, not really. Well, probably. I mean, I'm guessing that there are a number of lies that are told routinely in American politics. One of them is, yeah, oh, well, I'm definitely not running for president, which is something that Hillary Clinton said for six years after she lost the last time. Everyone knew that she couldn't say, I'm going to run again. But I mean, that's like one of the many lies. But I think you you hear these things. And if you talk to the Clinton people, they have absolutely zero concern about raising money. Their bigger concern is enthusiasm. And they have two very, very big structural things going for them beyond money and beyond the fact that most people, a lot of people, you know, feel like she's a default candidate. One, she's a woman. Two, um, Bernie Sanders is not black. Um, Barack Obama had a real built-in base of minority voters last time that may or may not. Yeah, you he's know, also be like not a handsome time. young man. He's not like an epically good. Public that I disagree speaker. with you on. <laughs> oh, to each his own. To each his own. Yeah, but Annie. I never thought Barack Obama was an anti-business president, right? But yeah. that na- that that narrative has become so cemented. It surprises me that at this early stage, it feels like Hillary Clinton is like, I don't really mind if business is going to like sort of think that I'm on the continuum of Barack Obama and even perhaps even more to the left on issues of income inequality and sort of managing the incredible disparity of wealth in this country. She's like content to kind of be on the maybe on the other side of business, at least in the narrative. First of all, you know, regarding the Obama administration, I've always thought that it's fascinating that on one hand, the kind of like labor left really beats Team Obama up for being too aligned with Wall Street, right? Like Jack Lew came from Wall Street. Peter Orzag went to Wall Street. Timothy Geithner seemed like he was yeah, on Wall Timothy Street. Yeah, Timothy Geithner, the, the former Eric, and current Eric head of Holder Goldman Sachs. Eric Holder is now working for Wall Street, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have all these guys on Wall Street who are like, why are you treating us like this? Um and, and are very disillusioned with it. You know, for her, I do think that it is true that there is plenty of money. There are plenty of American oligarchs who do not work on Wall Street or, you know, kind of hedge fund guys or whatever that are just dyed in the blue Democrats and they're going to give money anyway. And I agree with Mark that she's going to be able to raise money. It's not like if she loses some of this swing Wall Street cash that's going to be decisive in her campaign. And I think notably, you know, Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney, uh, having lost some of that Wall Street money too, right? If you are her campaign and you're looking at positioning yourself more broadly and you think that this kind of populist message, you think that, you know, basically saying we're going to complete the safety net, we're going to take care of families, we're going to boost the middle class, we have ownership of that argument, you're going to be better off making it even if you do anger a few fat cats. I guess I'm thinking of Hillary Clinton too much in the context of her husband, who loves being the guy that sits down with CEOs and right. conservative hedge fund guys. And the t- to be honest, like I have been at dinner parties in New York City with some of the very people, these hedge fund guys, these millionaires, both who have voted Democrat and Republican, who say in unison, this president has been terrible right. on business issues. And I'm always like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? Like, seriously, I just think that because, I mean, the Clintons, and I'm, and again, maybe I'm thinking too much in terms of, like, the, the sort of rare air of New York that they breathe collectively, want to be in those salons and dinner parties and want to still have currency to trade with that group of people. And this rhetoric at the new school... <clears throat> takes her out of those rooms. But it's not just Bill who has been in those rooms right, and who right. likes to yeah. be in those Collectively, rooms. Collectively, I said, I mean, Mark, they this is, together. This is, that's true. You know, I think any victimization from the Wall Street class is, is completely either disingenuous or non-existent because they've all been here before. I mean, it's what Democrats say every four years. And with that salty little, uh, what do you call that, coda? Uh, was it a coda? Was it a salty coda? Well, that before, sounds like a dessert. Before I think it we was coda, a I do. I, I want to. I want to return to this exact conversation in like four or six months and see whether we're more worried about Bernie or less worried about Bernie. Because I'm staking my claim out uh, for yeah, less. I don't, I don't. I don't think. I well. I don't think. I, it's not the really about Bernie. Question is, will we be here in four to six months? Yeah, that's Bernie's a good question. Sex appeal. Probably you know, not. Well, who, who will be here? Bernie Sanders or the us? axe falls <laughs> swiftly. It does, okay. Man. Bernie might be the other moderator on podcast. That would be really exciting. I'd love to have Bernie. We should. Bernie, if you're listening, I I will fire myself to make Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Me too. Come here on Bernie for America. Absolutely. Self-deport. We'll collectively self-deport. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. You can do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easy, super easy. Use your own computer and printer to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or any package. Instead of waiting in line, instead of interrupting your lunch break, instead of interrupting your afternoon, just go to Stamps.com. Join over 500,000 small businesses that use Stamps.com and never go to the post office again. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer. A no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes $55 in free postage. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter America. That's Stamps.com. Enter promo code America. We're back! So we discussed Hillary's economic strategy. Now let's... Barely got a break there. <laughs> just saying, I'm just like, barely got a I break. I can just stop talking now if you want to take the reins <laughs> on this one, I'll just like, my, my, my wheezing, I'll turn away from the mic, so... Are you okay, Mark? What's this. going on I'm okay. No, He's just... always cheating death, Annie. We I'm always that. cheating death, He's but also, very, like, very I was old. promised a break, and then all of a sudden... No, we were promised a break, and then the, the break went away. Are you practicing it's... self-care? I try. <laughs> it just doesn't work. I keep getting older. <laughs> yeah. I turned no, 50 last month, What the hell you can do? Really? Oh, you look great. Really 50 or much older than that. feel. I feel great. No, I feel really good. Let me good. tell you, I don't see so, Lebo that often, and he looks better every day. It's like Benjamin Button up here in New York. <laughs> okay, we're moving on mm-hmm. to another great tale of of fact, A Time for Truth. Ted Cruz's Hey, that sounds like a self-serving best... political memoir. <laughs> oh, wait. Are, oh, is that what we're talking about here? You, Sorry. Some dogs run to the food bowl when they hear a bell. Mark Leibovich smells something in the air when he hears about a disingenuous, self-aggrandizing political memoir. Yeah. Well, and that is what we're talking about. Senator Ted Cruz's apparently best-selling new book appeared to be very close to the top of the hardcover nonfiction list this week. And by some estimates, he was due to land the number two spot. 
But it was skipped over for Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance. There was a lot of back and forth, Mark, about whether this is because the New York Times suspected that friends of Ted Cruz were bulk purchasing the books in order to juice sales and get them further to the top. Amazon said it had no evidence of that. The New York Times has not put into anything in specific. This has done wonders Mm -hmm. to cement the narrative furthered by Ted Cruz that the liberal media is conspiring to keep him back. It's not just the liberal media. It's only the New York Times. And (laughs) I was invited, as a New York Times employee, I was invited into the morning's conspiracy meeting in which we planned out. I mean, I'm I'm just a writer, (laughs) right? But we actually get to plan out who we get to screw over on the bestseller list and oh. how conservative they are, whether they're conservative enough to be screwed over. Interesting. Now, uh, I Ann have, Coulter is on the bestseller well, list, I should so say, she apparently didn't make the cut. Just as a caveat, I have absolutely zero you know, insight. But insight you into are the, familiar with the bestseller list, aren't you? Speaking uh, we, of we self-aggrandizing can't, we can't behavior. Dis- no, I, you know, look, I, I've been lucky enough. I've been very blessed. Isn't that what you're <laughs> supposed to say in these situations? Here's what I have to say about this. The liberal media, as it were, is not that organized. <laughs> None of us can meet deadlines. I mean, it's a, it's a shit show if you actually are ever inside a newspaper. You do. I, I will look at the bestseller list in the New York Times every Sunday, and consistently there's a bunch of usually very conservative sort of Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, mm. Ann Coulter-type books just dominating the bestseller list. And look, I mean, I think if there's a conspiracy, it might be good to maybe turn our attention to some of these titles, don't you think? I mean, just as a public service. Um, okay, you want me to like talk the real political no, no, calculus I just, here? I, I feel like, I, I, can it's I say this? I feel like, man. I know both of you guys work for the New York Times. I feel like they really fucked this one up. Andy does not work for the New York Times. Uh, but worked. But worked. worked. Worked, yeah. Well, I, and I will like, be worked I by mean, the time this segment on, is come over. Come on, What are you doing? <laughs> no, why, why? No, first of all, Amazon is not the be-all and end-all of like what book But the book Wall sales. Street Journal and the other book lists, I can't remember them all. Really? Also, no, no, no. They, they also... You know, do not put books on their bestseller list if there is evidence of bulk purchasing. And he made it to number four on those lists or whatever. The New York Times took exception. And I, I'm sorry, I am not, a, I am not a conservative conspiracist, Annie. But I feel like they, in some part, they maybe were scrutinizing Ted Cruz's book sales more carefully. He didn't make it. I, right. I so wrong? there's this there's this kind of that... hilarious debate that, you know, like Amazon has said that it has no evidence of bulk sales of the Cruise book. The New York Times has said that they're confident that this was like a correct assessment. Uh, I think that the Cruise people are probably actually fairly happy about this because they're, they're getting thrilled. all yes, sorts they're of, they're totally of it, thrilled. all sorts of publicity there is for this the biggest win for them for this ever. book for this probably terrible book she hesitates before she calls it a book book. (laughs) this this but that's but exactly if you, the if you idea. Rearrange he, the letters in a time for truth. I'm pretty sure that they rearrange into Benghazi. And that's <laughs> the most amazing part of this. No, so everybody, I think, at the end of the day is happy. Who knows what actually Times happened is not here? Happy. No, New York Times they is not a happy. No, there's a I don't know if they <laughs> fucked it up or not. Look, I This the fact that it I, is I a just, story. I know these people. I I they're not the kind of people they're evil liberal believe me liberal. if they were evil liberal conspiracists they would screw other conservative authors i mean there are other republican candidates who have been on the bestseller don't you list think there's something here. special about ted cruz 
That no. Just because he should <laughs> be smarter not. and He's one better of 15 and more magnanimous. It's a great, I mean, look, I give him full credit for, or his team full credit for opportunistically going after the New York Times. One, because it's a very easy boogeyman. And two, you know, it calls attention to the book. I mean, it's just, it's a complete win-win on his part. But I just, these are, this is not how liberal conspiracists think, I don't yeah. think. I mean, I don't think these are liberal conspiracists. I just, I think I'm not we, suggesting a full-blown conspiracy. I think we need a congressional investigation. I think yeah, we need to, you know, panels, <laughs> blogger ethic panels. Let's just, let's get to the bottom of Dean this. Dean Beckay's emails need to be subpoenaed by Trey Gowdy, <laughs> and then I'll be satisfied. <laughs> We're going to take a break, another one, a long, long one for Mark Leibovich. Mm. Tell us what conspiracies you're paying attention to this campaign season and why you haven't read Aziz Ansari's Modern Romance or why you have. I will read that book. He's hilarious and awesome. I love him. Tweet us at Pod for America. We'll be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail. But first, a word from our sponsor. Podcast for America is sponsored by The Great Courses. Like so many of you, I love to learn for the pure pleasure of it. That's why I'm a fan of The Great Courses. I recently watched the Great Courses series on turning points in American history. It's a great fit for those of you listening to this podcast. You can watch it home. You can listen to it on your way to work. You can listen to it in the car. The Great Courses Turning Points in American History offers insights into events that shaped this country from President Roosevelt's New Deal to the Watergate crisis and more. The Great Courses is celebrating its 25th anniversary, and it has over 500 courses on topics like history, science, photography, and more. Watch or listen with online downloads and streaming via The Great Courses apps or on CDs or DVDs. The Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for Podcast for America listeners. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including Turning Points in American History, at up to 80% off the original price. But hurry, this 80% savings is only available for a limited time. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. We're back. And that was an appropriately long break. Oh, man. I feel so rested. Look at me. Like, I've actually grown like It's two days later. Mark Leibovich has gotten 10 years younger because he is our version of Benjamin Button. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to spend all our precious podcast time on discussions of Mark's youthfulness because that could go on forever. Let's get to Donald Trump. He has been the star of the Big and Bold Club, and I would say other B things, among the candidates for the Republican nomination this season. And he has had no shortage of airtime for his ideas. Wait, what's the other B things? I'm serious. Like, I bitch? don't know. Bunny. I mean, bunny. bunny. He is the star of the Big Bold and Bunny Club. All right. Just think. I'm just, <laughs> we're very transparent. Boisterous. At the PFA. Bonnie Braggadocio. He's All a right. lovely Scottish lass. Bonnie. What are his pals and competitors in the race saying in response to all of his bravado, Annie? And I, you talk about Bernie Sanders, right? Now, I think in the long term, Donald Trump ain't going to be someone that is scaring the bejesus out of Jeb Bush in the polls in seven months. However, the fact that he is going to wield his scepter on the debate stage, if you look at the polling, it looks like he's going to be in at least the first debate. I think could have an effect on the contours of 
the Republican field. Absolutely. I mean, his sustained active political performance art. I mean, first of all, it is it is truly it is a wonder to behold. And as a journalist and a chaos Muppet, I just I adore it. I really do. He is spouting the most insane nonsense. He is hyperventilating on Twitter. It is just <laughs> it's like it's like watching a child have a tantrum in the middle of like a crowded store or something. You just can't take your eyes off of it. The guy's not going to get elected president, but he's really throwing a mention things because uh, I think that he's making the whole party look bad. Everybody is like, geez, gosh, pull yourself together and get off the floor and put your pants back on, you know, like, whoa, <laughs> sorry, referring to the toddler having a tantrum, not oh. anything. Else. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. But, what are you accusing him of? You know, yeah. this week, specifically on Monday, Mark, Scott Walker announced he's running. Mm-hmm. Right. And one would think that the chatter in Republican circles, and I feel like we've seen this strategy start of come out and is, is it's made itself evident is to take Trump down a notch to sort of reclaim the airwaves like Lindsey Graham this week called him Lindsey a wrecking Graham, ball and yes. I feel like Lindsey Graham is like is the only one you I mean like, Jeb did a little bit Jeb but Jeb I think it's more done. like the guys at the sort of lower in the is. polls and their sort of strategy is we got we it, first of all he's taken up our our mic yes on the debate stage totally and and B like he's leaving no room for a sort of moderate voices or right. sane voices. I am very looking forward to the Sanders Trump election. Oh, oh mm. God. Wouldn't they will be hosting podcasts for America they will be. within a year. This podcast room will self destruct. Are you kidding? It'll or, be the best or podcast. Or it'll collapse anyway. unto itself like a star. Absolutely. It'll go in. The energy will be sucked or like in. Donald's hair. That's which is that's the subject of the next podcast. We're mm-hmm. gonna leave. It's a full these. hour, a full yeah. hour on the hair. Probably, probably it's a install. It's like cereal. We'll have to do like <laughs> several installments. Mm-hmm. All right, we're nearly out of time for this week's podcast. If you like us, please tweet it up in 140 characters or less at Pod for America. To wrap up, it is time for our weekly lightning round, something we like to call If I Were in Charge. Mark, why don't you kick it off? I will kick it off by saying, um, sort of going to one of our earlier themes, I would eliminate all mid-career political memoirs. There is no reason for them. They are never any good. And I certainly, if I were in charge of the bestseller list, which I'm not, I would eliminate them from consideration because they're they're political documents. They are, uh, there's, I don't think, there's almost ever been any sort of literary edification one could derive from them, and um, I don't think they should exist. Why do people put them out then? Just to say that they wrote a book? They can refer to them. They can say, I addressed that in my book. Um, you know, they can also, I mean, they have a built-in support network. They can, yeah. It's a very easy way to sell. I mean, you can sell them pretty easily because you can, I mean, Newt Gingrich got in trouble for sort of, um, what did he do? He, he like... Didn't like in the '90s. He sold. He bought a bunch of he, jewelry at Tiffany's and didn't. No, pay for that it. was that was like that was a la- that was a more recent scandal. No, he 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 wrote a book and he sold a bunch of copies to bulk donors. Purchases. Bulk purchases. Yeah, it was anyway. Jim Wright. Jim Wright did that too. I thought Newt did. That for anybody Who's tuning that? in was chairman of the Jacob slate. Weisberg Jacob Weisberg. A, you know, it's amazing. Who's Jacob here to Weisberg. fire us? Actually, well, no, after Jacob the end of this podcast, Weisberg. He does have firing it's power. You have Hiring, no idea firing power. The kind of pressure we're under here because <laughs> he is such a micromanager, and he just sits. I mean, he has a little pony are, whip. Like, He's just, just been snapping at our ankles. Voice. 
but the We're level terrified. the level of of like I mean we cannot say half a sentence without being corrected. Usually it's God out. damn it. Annie, take anyway. it away. What would you do if you were in charge? Yeah. If if I were in charge, I would say that that if you are a member of the media and if the the liberal media actually had the levels of controls that <laughs> that conspiracy theorists think that we have, which I agree with Mark, it's just a cluster, nobody knows what they're doing. I would say everybody stop writing about Donald Trump for like 5 days. And then see what happens in the poll why? numbers. Yeah, why? Why? The liberal I mean, media wants to have I know, Donald Trump be the I know, nominee. but sometimes we hurt America. He's also number two in the polls. He's, he's, right, but yeah, well, you'd make it easier for Hillary. We I mean, I'm in charge. I don't have to justify myself to That's you true. two. If I were in charge, this is riffing off of what you said earlier, light on the details would be excised from all campaign analysis. Because guess what, snitches? You just never get specifics from politicians. Really, truly. I mean, even when something is passed, there is still this sort of room for interpretation. Wait, are you wait? Are you outlawing the cliche, cliche of light on the details, yes, or yes. just the notion of the, details? Both being the cliche light. and the notion. Oh, I oh okay. I mean, I just it's it's an unrealistic expectation. Okay. And I'm also the person that last week suggested we stop asking people anything other than the Proust questionnaire. Oh, so I love the basically, food. I forfeited we actually, my you know what we credentials. We should turn over an entire if I ever podcast. Had any. We should turn over an entire podcast to posing a Proust questionnaire to Jacob Donald Trump, whoever the guest is <laughs> that, we, that is going to. Or that's a good idea. We should do that totally. with Bernie Sanders. Okay, that's it. That's all for Podcast for America. Thanks to our producer Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And Jacob Weisberg for hitting us with that little pony whip. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And if you like us, please be sure to tell a friend or two. Subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover this show. For Annie Lowry in D.C. and Mark Leibovich sitting right beside me, my name is Alex Wagner, and I'm in New York City. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.